Live by every word. That is the challenge and the opportunity the Bible gives to you. This program examines the actual words that have proceeded out of the mouth of God Himself so we can use them to guide our paths and live by them in our everyday lives. This is Live by Every Word. Thanks for joining me today here on Live by Every Word. I'm Dwight Falk. This is Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG. We're online at kpcg.fm, and we have a live link at our Trumpet website. That's the uh, trumpet.com. You can find all of our programming there, as well as video presentations and articles and books and booklets and reprint articles, a lot of information there at thetrumpet.com, and it's all free of charge. It's a educational service. And you can also sign up for the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. A lot of what we talk about in this program uh, comes from the Correspondence Course, and uh, it's a great lesson uh, to sign up for, and there's quite a few lessons that come with it. Uh, The one we're going to be talking about today in particular is Lesson 23 and some information from that, but the entire course is free, and you can sign up for that at thetrumpet.com. Jesus Christ promised in Matthew 16 and verse 18 that he would found his church and that it would never die. And he can't lie. He always tells the truth. And so God's church would be there from the time that it was established there after his death and resurrection. And then in the first Pentecost after that time period, and uh, the church would go on all the way up until his second coming. It would never die, as he said. Now, it would be a small and persecuted flock. That's been true over the years. That continues to be true today. You can read about that history in Revelation 12. And there has been a lot of persecution of God's church and of his truth over the years. And yet, in all of that persecution, God's church continues. God's church continues through all the different church eras all the way to the return of Jesus Christ. So how does it how does it last? How can it continue to be held together even with persecution and the struggles that it's faced over the years? Well, it's church government that cements and welds together the members of the body of Christ so that all function in peace, harmony, and unity of purpose. Even through those struggles and those difficulties that have happened throughout the years and continue God's church holds together, and it's church government that really cements and welds together the members of the body. Notice 1 Corinthians 12. Government's a really important topic and something that people struggle with sometimes because there's a lot of bad government in this world, but God's government is a wonderful government, and we need to learn about it. We have a few passages to look at today, so if you have a Bible handy, it'd be great to get it out, and we could look at some of these together. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 28. Here we see a picture of God's government within his church. It says, And God has set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. And what's important to note there is that God sets the government in the church. That's what it says. We just read it. And God has set some in the church. You know, man has a lot of different ideas about government. There's a lot of squabbling when it comes to how a government should run or who should be in charge and those types of things. But God sets his government in his church. Most churches in this world are the ideas of men. That's what they think. And you see that 
when there's maybe a big societal change and churches grapple with how to deal with that, and then there's a division and they break apart. And But God's church stays firm, stays strong, is based on the Word of God. It's run by the government of God, Jesus Christ being the head. And that's the way that God's church survives and grows, even though it is persecuted. And that's how it continues. God's government there, as we talked about earlier, cementing and welding together the members of the body of Christ. So they all function in peace. There's harmony, unity of purpose. Government has to be there for that to be the case. Notice this quote from Lesson 23 of the Herbert W. Armstrong College Bible Correspondence Course. And again, this is a free course at thetrumpet.com that you can sign up for, and we encourage you to do so. But it says, Ancient Israel, the church or congregation of the Old Testament era, was a nation in the world, though not of the world, as God organized it. Its government was hierarchical. It was a theocratic government, government from the top down, the very opposite of democracy. Likewise, the Church of God today is organized under theocratic government, hierarchical in form. The members do not set officials in the church. God does, even as he sets the lay members in the church. You can look at a few references, 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, John 6 and verse 44, Acts 2 and verse 47. God's the one that puts everything in order. It's God's government. It's God's church. This quote continues, The government presently in God's church is the same form of government by which Christ shall rule all nations during the millennium and the great white throne judgment period. Those in God's church today have voluntarily placed themselves under the authority of his government, and thus they are learning to rule in the kingdom of God. How, it asks, by first being ruled by the government of God during their mortal lives, God's begotten children learn to rule in the world tomorrow by submitting to and administering God's government within his church today. God's very practical, and he is preparing people to fulfill certain offices within the kingdom of God, and so he gives people practical experience today, and we have an opportunity to learn. We have an opportunity to grow in our understanding and of how to follow government, how to apply it. And then going forward into the future, we'll be able to help others in the same way. So it's a wonderful training tool. God's Church is a teacher's college, as it's been often referred to, because it is training teachers. And people need to understand how to follow God's government and also how to implement it and be part of that body of Christ. Notice Colossians 1 and verse 18. Colossians 1 and verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church, talking about Jesus Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And so when people think about government in this world, they're usually a little bit wary of it, particularly if there's you know one leader. And that's understandable because there's been a lot of bad government in the world where it's been a corrupted form of government, where there has been a supreme leader at the top, uh, a man typically, that is ruling something and it doesn't go well. You know, they, they become dictators and there's a lot of problems. But with God's church, Christ rules it. He's the one in charge. And then he works down through the physical leader he's working with and down through there. 
as we read about there. He's the head of the body. Jesus Christ is the head. And that's why that government works so well, because you have a perfect, righteous head. And that wouldn't be the case with any government of man. But with God's government, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And of course, God the Father is above all, and he's the head of the family. But Christ rules his church. He's the head of it. And that's why that government can work successfully. And that's why it's a government to follow. The governments of men, they get you know, pretty uh, uh, strange in what they do a lot of times, and there's just some really negative history with those. But God's government is sure because God is righteous and God the Father and Jesus Christ and those that he's working with and that are submitted to him. There's a real great line of leadership there. But ultimately, Jesus Christ there is the head of the church under the Father's direction. Now, how does Christ rule? That's a really important point to think about. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, so how does he rule? What does he do? We'll notice Ephesians 5. We get some insight here. This chapter is talking a lot about marriage, but yet, really, it's talking about Jesus Christ marrying the church. And that's why, of course, family is so important. Marriage and family, well, it relates to, very specifically, Christ's marriage to the church and the family of God. But Ephesians 5 and verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself for it. See, that's how Jesus Christ leads. He loves and he gives himself for the church. Lesson 23 of the Correspondence Course says, Christ rules the church, his wife-to-be, in love, always doing what is best for her. He loved the church so much that he died for her, so she could receive forgiveness from sin and be made immortal at his second coming. And then it continues and says, Husbands are to submit to Christ, that's in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3, and follow his example of love toward their own families. They too are to learn to govern in love, not as tyrants. That's what happens typically when a person is in charge. If they're not following God, they become a tyrant. But with God's government, there's always Christ there as that head, and then, of course, God the Father over the family, above all. And you see that government then work beautifully within a home, within the church. Ultimately, it will be within the whole world. But we see the example of leading in love here. Jesus Christ set us that example. And he governs for the good of those governed, and it's according to God's law, that law of love. The quote continues, and wives are to submit to their own husbands as the church is to submit to Christ. That's verse 24. How clear it is that God's people learn to rule by being ruled. Now, again, people get pretty upset by some of that. Well, they say, wait a second, you know, we're gonna, we don't want wives submitting to husbands. Well, if the husband's ruling in love, according to God's laws, then that's a wonderful thing to submit to. We all have to submit to government up the line. Everybody does because we're all looking ultimately up to Jesus Christ and then to God the Father. See, there's a government system in place there. And God's law is the law for everybody. It's completely fair. Everybody's, you know, has to follow that same law and that law when it's followed produces wonderful results for the person in authority and the person that's under authority. 
You know, today's society is different, of course. People balk at the idea of being ruled, and no one's going to rule them, people will often say, but yet everyone obeys something or someone. And that point is made in Romans 6. I think it's worth noting that everybody follows something or someone. Notice Romans 6 and verse 16. It says, Know you not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. See, if we submit ourselves to God's government, then we're going to live. We're going to have obedience unto righteousness, and we're going to be free from all the negative pulls of sin. You know, it's freedom to follow God's law and government. But if someone refuses to obey God's government, well, what does that mean? Well, that means they make themselves servants to sin and Satan. You know, a person that is an alcoholic, for example, you know, they may think, well, I'm free to drink if I want to. But then ultimately, they can't stop. So they end up serving the drink. They become slaves to it. And they obey. They obey that desire. And so they're not free. They're slaves to it. And you know that lives that are going that direction fall apart and are pretty bad. Now, thankfully, people uh, can, can break those habits and get out of doing that uh, and need to. But again, it's just an example. It's just exactly what was being talked about here in Romans. It's what Paul's discussing. That okay, well, whatever you obey, then you're a servant to that. You know, either we follow God's government and his law, and we are uh, obedient unto righteousness, or we serve sin unto death. See, we have to make a choice, but we're going to follow something. We're going to obey something, and obeying God's law and government makes us free from the penalties of sin. And that's a great freedom. That's a wonderful freedom. Notice Ephesians 4. Some more specifics here on God's government. Ephesians 4. Look at verses 11 and 12. It says, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And so Christ has placed different ones within his church to do different jobs. There are apostles, there are prophets, there are evangelists, there are pastors, there are teachers. And again, all, all of it being done, all of it being uh, implemented, the government being implemented through all those different offices for the perfecting of the saints for the edifying of the body of Christ, to help everybody grow, to develop, to improve. See, it's all positive. And there's some explanation about these offices. It's, again, in Lesson 23 of the Correspondence Course. It says, An apostle is one sent forth with Christ's gospel message of the coming kingdom of God, including the supervision of proclaiming that message to the world by means and persons other than himself, and so Christ, you know, started out with some men that became apostles, and he worked with them, and they went forward, you know, Peter and Paul and others. And of course, Paul came along later, but, but he was worked with by Christ in a, a special way. And in our day-to-day, -day, Mr. Armstrong was one, Herbert W. Armstrong, that God worked with in a special way. Uh, 
and he continues to work with Mr. Gerald Fleury today, again, in, in that office, the office of an apostle. And there's a work that's done there, and then there's a group that supports and helps. It says the next rank under apostle is that of a prophet. The word prophesy is often used in the sense of to preach or proclaim. Prophets do receive revelation from God. It is revelation that can be proven from the written word of God. So when there is revelation, it can be proven. You can go look up scriptures and verify it. Evangelists in Paul's day were leading ministers, proclaiming the gospel to the public. Again, this is quoting the correspondence course. Even raising up local churches and having supervision over some churches under the apostle. And so there was different work that they had to be doing. And then you have pastors, generally ministers, placed over a local church or group of local churches. And then there are teachers. In the early New Testament church, they were not necessarily preachers. Yet all ministers and teachers are called elders in other New Testament passages. So again, the government and the church, it's not uh, the concoction of you know some man's thinking. This is right from the Bible, right from the scriptures. And so there are these different offices within God's church today. It's part of God's government. All of it there to help the body of Christ and to help everybody grow, to help everybody develop. Notice Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Ephesians 4 and verse 13. Again, we see the purpose of God's government. It says, Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, that's the goal. That's what we're working toward. Christ told us to become you perfect as your Father which is in heaven. That's the goal. That's what we're working towards. And it's a continual effort that we have to make. And we need to be following God's government to grow in those ways. And government's a wonderful thing. It's needed. It's what keeps the church moving. Christ being that, that uh, head of the church. The head of the church, the chief cornerstone. And, of course, then God the Father ultimately over the whole family. But there is government there, and that helps everybody to grow and to develop. And it's a government of love that operates on the law of God, and it rules in a way that benefits everyone that's being ruled. It's a wonderful government. Ultimately, the whole world will follow the government of God. There won't be people following sin anymore. There won't be people that are enslaved to those things. Instead, they'll be following God. And growing, and as we read there in Ephesians 4, you know, developing unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Christ was under his Father's government, and he loved it. And that's how he thrived and did the job that God had for him to do. Jesus Christ loved his Father's government, and he followed it. The whole world will do the same in time. And that will produce unity, peace, joy, and abundant blessings for all. That's what God's government produces. Unity, peace, joy, and abundant blessings for all. It's a wonderful government. To learn more about God's government, you can look at this correspondence course lesson. It's lesson 23, and it gets into even more details about the government of God. That's all the time we have for this edition of Live by Every Word. I'm Dwight Falk. Thank you for spending some of your time with me today. Until next time. Let's all strive to more perfectly live by every word of God.
You've been listening to Live by Every Word on Trumpet Radio 101.3 KPCG and online at kpcg.fm and thetrumpet.com.